Revelation, Jesus told the church in Laodicea, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man or woman will open the door, I will come in to him, and we will have fellowship. Christ is at the door of the heart of every person in this room. Whether you've let him in or not, or whether you've let him in in the past and you're, you've tried to shut him out for whatever reason, he's knocking at your heart's door. So he can come in and have fellowship with you and bring encouragement to you, bring comfort to you, bring salvation to you, bring the awareness of the forgiveness of God for our past to you and to us. He's here so that you can say, come in, Lord. And sing with us, Christ in you, Christ in me, the hope of glory. You can say with the, the epistle that says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You can say with faith, according to the word, there's more to me than meets the eye. I am the temple of God. I am a vessel for the Lord. Amen. Amen. The gospel is that God sent his son into the world. Not to condemn the world, but to save the world. So that whoever would believe in him would not have to perish for their sins. But they could have life and allow his death to become theirs. So that his life can also become theirs. He took our place, paid our penalty, died in our place, and arose from the dead as our Savior. So that through faith in him, our sins could be paid for. You may feel like you're the most wicked person around. But Jesus paid for the sins of the world. He lived a perfect life, so his death was not just and was not due him. And so God allowed that death to occur, to be a payment for the sins of any person that would put their faith in him and say, Jesus, I'm yours. Come in. Come in. Let's just pray this prayer together. Oh, God in heaven. Oh, God in heaven. I believe that you sent your son. I believe that you sent your son. And I call on his name. And I call on his name. Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. And I believe that you have risen from the dead for my salvation. And I believe that you have risen from the dead for my salvation. And I call on your name. And I call on your name. And say, Jesus, save Jesus, me. Save me. Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, come into my heart. If you'll do that. He'll do that. He'll come in. He'll come in. And he'll bring blessings with you that eye has not seen and ear has not heard. And you have a future. The fear of death will be gone. The sting that death has is taken away because we know where we're going. Amen. And then you can sing with us, Christ in me. Christ in me. Christ in me. The hope of glory. communication card and the back side of that it becomes a yes card 
If you're saying yes to Jesus and you're giving him your life and you want him to come into you and live his life through you, have that relationship that he promises. I want to meet you and give you a free gift after service. Out here at the information booth, just bring that yes card with you and we will rejoice with you. Amen. Amen. And give the Lord a praise for our praise team today. Give him a hand. I'm going to preach today, but after this sermon, you all will get a chance to come to them and give them your love personally. Can you do that? Special appreciation. But in the meantime, um, since I'll be greeting guests and maybe those that sign yes cards today, I'll go ahead and give them my card of appreciation. And backpacks from Apple. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Thank you so much. You may be seated. Children, you're dismissed to go to class. Those fifth grade and under are now dismissed to go to class. Amen. Did we surprise you? Yeah. <laughs> See, y'all are good. All right. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Philippians chapter 3. And while you're turning there, I'm going to play a trailer for this week's lesson from the Truth Project on Wednesday night. Come join us at 6.30. We have Chick-fil-A. And at 7, we have the Truth Project. So look forward to everyone. Everybody's invited this Wednesday. Science is involved in looking at this order and the harmony that God has created for us. We get caught, and we have to ask ourselves the question, why don't we believe today? The cell is chock full of exquisite miniature machines. Indeed, how did this happen? What is the spontaneous generation hypothesis? Darwin's theory is absolutely breaking down. What is the evidence? The evidence is exaggerated. That is this cosmic battle, battle between truth and lie. Come and join us for the Truth Project. And for youth, we have true you, which flows in the same type of dynamic. Have you found Philippians 3 yet? Let me just read the first 12 verses. Finally, my brethren. Now, Paul is a typical preacher. He's saying in closing, and he's only half done with the book. <laughs> Remember, Mary, Mary Ann Brown says, and this is my second closing. <laughs> Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Sometimes we can rejoice in our circumstances, but sometimes circumstances don't go our way, amen? So we can always rejoice in the Lord. When we needed a Savior, He was there. When we needed comfort, He sent the Holy Spirit. When we've needed uh, strength, He has been our strength. When we needed an answer, He is our word. You can always rejoice in Him. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Now he uses the word rejoice in this book several times. He's trying to get a point across. It's good for us to rejoice. It's good. Who knows it's good for us to praise. It gets our eyes off of ourselves. It, it, it helps us get an attitude check without trying to cheer ourselves up. As we magnify the Lord, we get cheered up. 
It changes our attitude. It's just a wonderful thing. And so Paul says it's not a tedious thing to do. And then he warns them, beware of evil workers, beware, uh, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. Underline one or all of those bewares, if you like. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. The word there for rubbish is the word scubalon. Can we say that? Scubalon. It means dung. Dog. Mess. So next time you get upset, just say, oh, scubalon. (laughs) And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from the Lord by faith. All right, the top line there, uh, underline, be found in him. Be found in him. In verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. So underline the words being conformed, if you like. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already attained, or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Tell your neighbor, be persistent. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you'd speak to us from your word today in the beautiful, matchless name that is above every name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'd like to speak to you this morning on the bees that take the sting out of life. The bees that take the sting out of life. Now we know, I mentioned earlier, there's a passage, I think in 1 Corinthians 15, that talks about our resurrection, it talks about Christ's resurrection, and says, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? Jesus took the sting out of death. It does hurt, but not the person dying. The person's going to a better place, resting place with the Lord, you know, place where the will of God is done 24-7, place where time no longer is an issue. For us, it hurts because we miss the person going, so we're really hurting for us, not for the person going on. So Jesus takes the sting out of death, but he also takes the sting out of living if we'll walk in his ways. And here we see some keys to taking the sting out of living. The first B is to beware of Christ's enemies. Now, he said, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. These three bewares are talking about the same person. This is Jewish poetry. He's building on how serious this matter is. One line builds upon the next line, builds upon the next line. Now, to be called a dog in our day, in some cultures, it's a compliment. He's my dog. But in other cultures, dogs are wild, mangy things that run around like coyotes. And they're not trained like our dogs. 
But whether you know it or not, your sweet little Fido at the house is just a matter of days from being a wild thing without you around to keep him or her in check or it. You know that? They will eat anything. They're, they're just something else. We'll come back to dogs. Beware of evil workers. Who's he talking about? These are not atheists. These are believers who are misguided that they are to beware of, who are bringing division to the church. He calls them the mutilation. Um, they, they uh, no doubt, most of these people, these troublemakers, were Gentiles who had converted to Judaism, who had become believers in Christ and expected other believers to take the same path, telling grown men you need to be circumcised and women you need to keep a kosher kitchen and, and just coming in and putting that Old Testament religion on the people of God and hindering evangelism and uh, uh, discouraging new converts. And although they were champions for circumcision, Paul used a word in describing them as the concision or the mutilation, that they cut things up in little pieces, that they are cutting up the body of Christ. When in the new covenant, circumcision becomes meaningless. It was a sign in the old covenant that a man had a covenant with God. He was a descendant of covenant people. That was their sign. For us, in the new covenant, our covenant sign is a picture of what Jesus did for us. It's a water baptism. We die to ourselves, give our life to Jesus, and we are buried in the waters of baptism, rising to walk in the newness of life. It's a painless thing, unless you're breaking the ice, I guess, on a cold winter's day like my grandma had done, but she said the Holy Spirit helped her, and it really wasn't that hard. The point is, these people were dividing the body of Christ over doctrines. Now, it's amazing to me that this kind of thing still comes around from time to time. There's people refusing to fellowship with people because they're not blowing shofars in their church services or they're not keeping the feasts of Israel. And the feasts have been and are being fulfilled. If you celebrate the Feast of Israel, celebrate you know, the Jewish festivals, that's wonderful. But it has nothing to do with your salvation and it should never cause you to break fellowship with someone. Amen? Jesus is our Passover lamb and as we celebrate Passover, we recognize how he fulfilled it. And at Pentecost, he fulfilled that festival which is a celebration of the giving of the law on Mount Sinai where on Mount Zion he gave the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, the church was born. So the church is in existence today as the fulfillment of the festival of Pentecost. The festival of tabernacles, we're living in that. We are the tabernacles of the Most High God. Christ in us, the hope of glory. These bodies we live in are just tents. But one day we're moving out of these things into those mansions Jesus talked about. In my Father's house are many mansions. Were not true, I would have told you so. I go to prepare a place for you. So these feasts are shadows of that which is to come. And to not fellowship with people because they're not celebrating Jewish feasts it is, is ridiculous. They're fulfilled. Let's walk in the reality of what they are. We literally celebrate them every Sunday when we do communion anyway. Communion, if, you, if I had time to preach on that, I'm getting off track here. Uh, I, could, I could share how these things are fulfilled in communion. Christ promised to partake of these in the future when we move out of this tabernacle into the, our permanent home. So, 
the feasts are, are shadows. And to be preoccupied with feasts would be like a mother being preoccupied with her paper dolls when she has real children. Beware, beware of dogs. People that will seek to draw you into legalism, back into bondage, away from Christ himself. Dogs have a connection to the past. They love eating past meals over and over again in any form. So beware of people that live in the past that discourage you. Amen? You got the picture. Tempted to tell you what they use dogs for in the third world, but I could tell you in private after church. Be confident in Christ alone. says, beware of dogs, beware of mutilation. We are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. There's no work that that we can do to make us worthy of heaven. So you may be living a perfect life. Thank God, because there's consequences to imperfect living. Amen? But do never, never, never lean on that. Put your confidence in that because you're going to be led astray. Put your confidence in Christ and not in people. You know, beware of his enemies, those that are against him, but also beware of leaning on the wrong things other than Jesus. Then he goes on and says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. I mean, if he wants to brag, if if these... They were called Judaizers. If they want to brag on how holy they are, he could whip them in bragging rights. I might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Some of these people troubling them were wannabe Jews. Some of the people troubling us in our day are wannabe Jews. He's the real deal. He really is a descendant of Abraham. Not just by faith, but in the flesh. But he doesn't lean on that for his self-worth or his right standing before God. Concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He could argue his righteousness left, back, backwards and forwards. Left, right, backwards and forwards. Because as a lawyer, which Pharisees were, they knew all the loopholes in the law. They knew how to explain away their disobedience. He could do that. But that's the problem with depending on yourself is you wind up defending your uh, sinfulness. Verse 7, But what things were gained for me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as Scubalon, that I may gain Christ. 
in verse 9, and be found in him not having my own righteousness. Depend on Christ alone. A third point is be found in Christ's righteousness, not in your own. Be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him. So our righteousness comes from Christ. Look at this picture. Our sinfulness came from the first Adam. Our righteousness comes from the last Adam. Jesus wasn't named Adam, but he is called in the Bible the last Adam or the second Adam. There is no, there's not going to be a third one, so he's the last Adam. Adam sinned and passed on sin to his descendants. So we are all born separated from God. Christ came, became one of us, and took on our nature without sinning. In other words, our sin was passed on to him. This is called imputed sin. So we are born with imputed sin, and this imputed sin was, was uh, put upon Christ. And he bore it on the cross. He took it upon himself at the cross and bore our sins and put them to death in his body on the tree, is what the word says so that through faith in Him, His righteousness can be imputed to us. He paid for what Adam did to us, and He paid for what the last Adam did to us. And this is the new birth, born out of sin, born unto righteousness. This is more than the forgiveness of sins. This is right standing with God. The forgiveness of sins is a wonderful thing. Forgiveness of sin is like being forgiven a great debt. If you owed a million dollars and to have that debt paid would be a tremendous relief off your shoulders, would it not? But righteousness is on top of forgiveness. It surpasses that. It's as though you had a zero balance. Now you have a million dollars. You're no longer indebted a million dollars. That's forgiven. But now you have a million dollars. The righteousness of Christ, right standing with God, is priceless. He became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. He changes us from the inside out and he begins by imputing us with his righteousness. And the Christian journey in growing spiritually is learning who he is making us and following him. Follow me and I will make you. We are already declared righteous, and we may not look like it always, but if we will continue to follow the Lord and allow Him to renew our thinking, this kind of thing happens when you hear the Word being taught like today, it changes the way we think, which in, in sequence changes the way we act. Stinking thinking, stinking behavior. So, it's not a behavior issue. It's a righteousness issue. And if you can realize the esteem of Christ that has been placed upon you and I, that we receive by faith, it brings humility, not pride, and it brings a fresh view of life. And helps us, it gives us a what? to please Him. It inspires us instead of condemns us. We begin to live 
by revelation instead of condemnation. I still don't quite have a grasp of this, but I know it's the truth because I see it in the Word. He has made us righteous. And we want to be found resting in that. Now, many times as new believers, God starts using us our old way of thinking, we start taking credit for God using us, we get puffed up with pride and start judging people and become like those dogs, biting folks and you know, using the word like a Pharisee. The Bible says to speak the truth in love. Truth can kill if it's not spoken in love. You know that? It's true. You can't handle the truth. Truth can kill. My dad used to say, son, you could take an ear of corn and grind it up and feed chickens and make them fat or take that same ear of corn and kill them all. Same corn, different application. So, we realize He's made us righteous. This gives us a sense of appreciation. This puts a praise in our heart and a song in our mouth. The reason to thank Him. It will change your attitude if you'll think about this and rely upon him. You know, um, the USDA, the Food and Drug Administration, does inspections on food and they'll give their stamp of approval on stuff. And we in this country are protected by that. We see the stamp and it's within the date, we trust it, we buy it, we eat it, and we're better off. But imputed righteousness is different. We come to him low down, rotten, dirty, doggy sinners. And he puts his stamp of approval on us. Mine. Righteous. And that stamp slowly but surely begins to have an impact and begins to clean us up. Nobody can do that but God. Nobody can do that but him. Amen. (laughs) You put a USDA stamp on a piece of rotten meat, you're going to lose your job. Because that stamp won't do anything but make it worse. Because the ink is poison. Be conformed to Christ's death. He said in verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. We all want the fellowship of His resurrection. Hallelujah. We want to know Jesus in His resurrection power. But we're also called to know Him in the fellowship of His sufferings. And that happens as we're conformed to His death. He died to himself for God. You know, he was tempted not to die for us. You know that? But he surrendered and said, Not my will, thine be done. And his fate ultimately was a literal hammer and nails. For us, it may never be a hammer and nails and a literal cross, but it will be something that crosses our will Are we going to stay and do God's will or are we going to yield to our flesh and run? Sometimes you have to make a stand for God and just take it. Sometimes when you're being slandered, you experience this death. You want to slander back, but you know that wouldn't work. It would just make it worse. You just have to keep quiet, trust your friends to defend you, and lean on God's help. What? cross are you facing in your life that may scare the liver out of you but you know you got to walk through it 
No, you've got to do it. It's not your ultimate destination. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. His ultimate destination was not the cross. It was the empty tomb. It was the right hand of the Father. Our ultimate destination is eternity with him. But between here and there, there's a process going through. He's getting us ready for heaven. We must be conformed to his death where we too can say, Not my will, but thine be done. Not my will, but thine be done. And finally, be persistent for Christ's purpose. If we're conformed to his death, dying out to our will, pursuing his will persistently, we will get to experience the resurrection of Christ. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Why are we saved? Just to go to heaven? Just to escape the fires of hell? Fire insurance salvation? Why are we saved? We're saved for a kingdom purpose. We're saved to follow a leader, a Lord, who does more than help us with our troubles, but he joins us to his cause, to something greater than ourselves. You are part of something greater than any politician could ever be a part of. You're part of the kingdom of God. What is that purpose? It's to have an impact upon the world. Are you discouraged? Are you down? Is life stinging the fire out of you? What purpose are you living for? Many times it's our purposes, our personal purposes that we have to lay down. And be conformed to Christ's death. Let that ministry die. Let that business go. Let those plans cease. I want the plans of God fulfilled in my life. And you know what? Sometimes he resurrects those plans that we laid down. Those Isaacs that we put on the altar. He resurrects them. But it's in his time under his lordship. And if there's fruitfulness, he then gets all the glory. Watch this. Every day they come, looking for someone or something. So when she came in, looking like she had the weight of a well-fed sumo wrestler on her shoulders, I assumed she was looking for a missing husband or a pet chihuahua. But she wasn't. And this would prove to be my toughest case yet. She explained with tears that what she was missing was her purpose, a.k.a. a reason to exist. She couldn't identify it because she never really had it, she said. But she believed it was out there. She didn't have any money, but I could see the desperation in her eyes and agreed to take the case for two baby roots and a half a smile. The next day, I started tracking down the few leads I had. She had given me the names of a few people that seemed to have purpose. There was a lawyer, one Thomas Hickman of 259 Eagle Trace, Joanne Barnes, a nondescript housewife and mother of three living in an apartment that wasn't big enough for one, and Fred Milton, pastor of the Covington Street Community Church. Each one of them had agreed to see me, and I spent the next two days trying to get to the bottom of what made them tick. On the surface, there was nothing that connected the three of them. They all had different family backgrounds, different jobs and career goals. They were educated differently, didn't move in the same circle of friends, didn't make the same money. Then it hit me, like a backhanded slap from one of the Williams sisters. They all claimed to have some kind of close relationship with one Jesus Christ, who they believed to be God. It was strange, but obvious. 
They couldn't ignore the facts. They had somehow picked up their purpose from him. When I told my client what I had found, she smiled like I was telling her something she already knew. She had just left a meeting with Mrs. Barnes, where, according to her, she was introduced to this Jesus Christ herself. As she walked out of my door for the last time, she left behind a dust cloud of mystery, a bigger mystery than the one she came in with. Who was this man they claimed to know? And how was it that he could give them a purpose for their lives? I wouldn't be able to rest until I found the answers. What is life's purpose? What is our life's purpose? What is your life's purpose? Is it just to live and then die? Is it just to work for the weekend? Another day older and deeper in death. Is it just to have all your problems solved? When you really look at it, those things are kind of shallow. If you would like a deep purpose for your life, welcome to the kingdom of God. His kingdom purposes are being celebrated all over town today and around 50 congregations. People that are finding purpose in Him. Purpose beyond their self. Purpose beyond the next paycheck purpose for life that brings it's why we were born so it brings fulfillment we just bow our heads Father I pray in the name of Jesus for those that have been living below your purpose I pray Lord you would generate in each heart a desire to find their purpose and Lord I pray for those that have never thought about this Today, Lord, they would not forget this word, that the seed of this word would be sown in their hearts and they would think about it today and tomorrow, the next day. Lord, don't leave them alone. Water this seed, I pray. Cause it to bear harvest. In Jesus' name. It starts, amen, it starts with us saying yes to his purpose. Christ came for a purpose to give his life for us so that we and receive life and forgiveness of sins and have the load of debt taken off of us and find the free gift of eternal life, the sting of death being taken away. But it's also so that you can join in with that kingdom purpose to help others find their kingdom purpose. Your children, our children, adults, the elderly, people of all generations and all nations need to join in the purposes of God you're considering that today, I'd like to talk to you after service. Just come out to the information booth and say, I heard what you said. I'm thinking about that purpose. Or if you said yes today to the Lord, fill out that yes card. I want to meet you as well. Praise the Lord. Can we stand? I'm going to dismiss you and release you to show your love and appreciation to our elders. And then I'm going outside to meet with those that are saying yes to the purposes of God or they're at least thinking about it. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Amen. Can you take back the, get my computer back up. God bless you. Thank you for worshiping with us. I hope to meet you in the next few minutes. Praise the Lord. Let's show our love to our elders. Amen.